I want to tag our text today, learning to trust, learning to trust. Let's pray before we begin. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are the God who speaks to us, not just in this moment, but you've been speaking since all creation. You spoke everything we see into existence. And so everything we have, everything we experience is dependent on your word. And so, Lord, we pray today that your word would do just that, create in us new hearts, create in us new passions, new desires, create in us new pathways and rhythms in our life, create in us a new heart that longs for you. May your word recreate us to bring you glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. In 2006, there was a British artist by the name of Banksy who was invited to do an art exhibition in uh, Los Angeles, California. And he brought various pieces of his art collection and all that he had worked on. Some were large-scale pieces, some were small-scale. But he brought this for the exhibition. And uh, one of the things that he brought that maybe few, if any, expected was a live elephant. A live elephant. Picture this for a moment with me. He set up a room in this warehouse in Los Angeles, and in the room, he designed it to look like maybe an average living room. There's the typical furniture that you might find in the living room. There was a couch and a, and a coffee table with some lamps and, you know, decorations on the wall with artwork and, you know, some fake windows and that kind of thing. And then on the couch, there's a man and a woman, both drinking coffee, having just a casual conversation. Uh, I think the woman was reading the newspaper as she's sitting on the couch. And this is a live scene, but the only thing that might be a little odd for a living room was there's an elephant in the room like a live elephant. This was a 38-year-old Asian elephant by the name of Tai, who was from Asia, brought to Los Angeles to be in this warehouse for the art exhibition. And what's ironic is they named the, uh, the exhibit uh, Barely Legal, because what I'm about to tell you was later deemed illegal. So the artist decided he was going to paint the elephant Red, the entire elephant. This is the illegal part. You're not allowed to paint an elephant, so don't ever try to do that. He painted the elephant red, and then on top of the red paint, put gold symbols to match the wallpaper in this room. So if you could picture this for a moment, the elephant looked like the wallpaper so that he blended into the background of the room to portray this idea that, you know, as the popular phrase goes, there's an elephant in the room, but you can, quote unquote, barely see him. He's, he's in the background. He's right there. You, you can see him, but you can't see him. And, and you know, it, this time it was a literal elephant. And he was trying to raise awareness for global poverty and trying to show the, the need for us to talk about the elephant in the room, to talk about the things that we don't want to talk about. Now, this morning we got to talk about an elephant in the room. There's no hiding elephants in this room. There's no wallpaper either, but there's, there's no elephants in this room, literally. But there's a massive ele uh, elephant in the room that's called tithing. If, if you want to start an old-fashioned uh, church fight, talk about tithing. Because any church you go to, there will be people who are passionately committed to tithing. 
And, and you know, there's people that they, they've been tithing their, their whole life. They were raised to tithe. They, they love tithing. They, they've seen God's blessing in tithing. And you couldn't convince them otherwise that tithing is what they should be doing. And they're glad to be doing it. There, there's those people in the church. And then there's a lot of people who may be on the other side. Well, maybe they're not against it. Maybe they are, but they're definitely cautious. Right? There's people that have been hurt by churches that talked about tithing maybe too much. You know, churches that they preached about tithing every couple weeks, and, and they're taking up seven offerings in the service, and they want to make sure that, that they're getting all the money out of the people that they can. And so they've been in those situations that have been abusive and wrong. And so red flags start to go up, and people start to put walls up. They don't want to talk about tithing. But then I would say the majority of people in church just haven't thought about it. In fact, I was reading recently, there, there was a study done by Barna, who's a, a research group, in 2021. So this is after the pandemic. They were trying to research how did the pandemic affect giving in churches. And one of the most fascinating things they found that I didn't expect to find was they said out of the thousands and thousands of people that they uh, surveyed, 43% of Christians couldn't tell you what tithing even was. 43%, these are church-going Christians, not just people who say they are Christians, but couldn't even tell you what it was. Which tells me, I think the majority of people in the church just haven't considered it. And so that's what I want to talk about today. Like as we get to this text, we're, we're continuing our series called Dollars and Cents. And if you're new to our church, it's only a three-week series. Don't think that every week we talk about money. But we are these three weeks. I'm sorry. So uh, you, you can check out, come back in two weeks if you want. But, but listen, we are talking about tithing today. And last week we talked about kind of an introduction to money and how money really affects our heart. That what God really cares about is our heart. And so money matters because our heart matters, right? And so money matters because our heart matters. And now we come to tithing and it's the same thing about tithing. That tithing is really about our hearts. It's really about trusting. And so what I want you to consider today, maybe you're one of those 43% who are just saying, you know, I never really thought about it. I can't even tell you what tithing is. Just come along the journey here. Listen to what I think might transform your life in how to trust God with your money. And so the question I want to ask today, just the few minutes I have, is how does tithing help us to learn to trust God with our money? So first we need to look at who owns our money. This is the first point, God's ownership. God's ownership. God begins in this text by establishing himself and who he is in verse 6. Look at what it says in verse 6. This is him speaking, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, pause there for a second. This is what theologians use a big word to call God's immutability. Immutability just means that God doesn't change. He, he doesn't change yesterday, today, or forever. Right? That, that's what the Bible says, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he doesn't change. He doesn't, you know, one minute promise you one thing, and then the next minute he promises you another thing. He doesn't uh, go back on his word. He doesn't change his mind about what he thinks about us. He, th th there are these things that God just doesn't change in his nature. He doesn't change in his actions. He is who he is, right? He is not someone who is one day just and then another day unjust. He's not one day merciful and another day unmerciful. He is who he is. Yeah. 
That's who he is. His character is this sure foundation. And so God is saying right off the bat, before he talks about money, he says, I want to remind you who I am. I'm the Lord who doesn't change. Now, it's fascinating that he uses that word Lord. God is is evoking his covenant relationship with his people. So anytime, if you're new to the Bible, anytime you see Lord in all caps in the English Bible, that is a translation of God's covenant name, Yahweh. Now, God's covenant name, Yahweh, has a special part in the story with God's people. See, if you go all the way back in the Old Testament to where Moses was encountering God in the burning bush, God has showed up to Moses while Moses and the people of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. They were in slavery for 400 years. Get that. For four centuries. God's people are wondering, did God forget about us? Did God get angry at us? What, what happened? Has he disappeared? Who is God? Right? They're feeling that. And then God shows up in the midst of their pain and their difficulty. He shows up to Moses and he says, go tell them that Yahweh has sent you. Go tell them that I am is here. And when I'm here, when I come, I'm going to deliver you out of your bondage. And sure enough, Moses goes back and he follows what God has told him to do to deliver them out of Israel. And he delivers them from or out of Egypt, out of Egypt into the promised land. And in that activity, in that obedience uh, that, that Moses does, God delivers them and says, now you're my people. I've bought you with a price. I've bought you out of your bondage. I've brought you into, into freedom. And now everything you have is from me. Our relationship is now a relationship where I have given you everything you own by mercy and grace. You didn't get it yourself. You catch that? That's what Yahweh means. This is the relationship that God has. He does not change, and he's only been generous and uh, delivering them. Now, catch you up to Malachi. Now, Malachi writes to Israel centuries later, centuries later, And God's people have turned their back on him. And then God says this in verse 7. He says, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Now listen to this. This is fascinating. God is saying, The only reason that you are not consumed in my judgment, because you've been disobedient, but not only have you been disobedient, all your people have been disobedient. From your forefathers in the past, every single one of us have been disobedient. He says, the only reason you're not consumed in judgment is because I'm a covenant-keeping God. I made a promise to you, and I never break my promises. I never change. If I make a promise, you can take it to the bank. What he's saying is, I want you to remember our relationship. I am the owner because I bought you. And because I bought you out of bondage and slavery, you can trust me to never consume you, but to always care for you. See, what he wants us to see is who the source is. God is the source, and we are simply the stewards. That's how it works. God is the source, and we are simply the stewards. A few years ago, um, I took our oldest daughter on a daddy-daughter date, and uh, our oldest daughter, Zoe, at the time, I think she was like six or seven, and I asked her, where do you want to go on a date? And she said, IHOP. 
IHOP was her favorite place. She loves the pancakes. And so we go to IHOP and, and uh, we sit down at the restaurant. And of course, she orders whatever the, you know, the, the pictures they have on the front of the menu, whatever is the tallest stack of pancakes with the most sugar. I think it was called like a churro pancake stack or something like that. I mean, it was just sugar dripping down the pancake. So she orders this pancake stack. And uh, when the waitress leaves, uh, we, we're kind of talking a little bit. And then she pulls out of her jacket she pulls this little notepad with some scribbles on it. And I say, Zoe, what, what, what is that? And she said, I, I brought some notes for our meeting. <laughs> I said, I didn't know we were doing official business. What are we meeting about? And she said, well, 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 this is what I thought we can do as we eat breakfast. We can plan for what we can give mommy for Mother's Day. This is December. This little girl, we're about to go into Christmas season, and she's thinking about what we're going to do in May to give her mother a gift, and she just loves her mommy. So then I ask her, okay, so what, what's our budget? If we're going to plan for this, what's our budget? You know, how much money do you have, Zoe? And she says, well, that, that's not my problem. That, you have the money, Daddy. <laughs> this is why we had a meeting, apparently. She wanted to see how much money she could get out of her father to buy a gift. But she knew the source, right? She knew the source. She knew that if we were going to buy mommy a gift, it was going to have to come from daddy. That's how it works. She knew the source, right? This is what God is saying to his people. I want you to remember who I am and what our relationship is here, right? If we treat our possessions like we own them, then we forgot what God did, right? Because listen, some of us, if you go back and you look at your story, or maybe it's your story right now, you've, you know what it's like to live in bondage, you know what it's like to live in the bondage of sin where you had hopelessness. I mean, you were in despair. You were in, in anxiety. You were living day to day wondering, am I going to make it? Am I going to be forgiven? Could God ever love me? Could my family ever love me? You know what it's like. You know what it's like. And so you know what it's like for God to step into your life and redeem you out of that darkness and bring life into you to give you the hope of the gospel to say your sins are forgiven. Right, that question we just read from the New City Catechism, that all your sins really can be forgiven. You really can be delivered from the guilt and shame that sin has put on your life. You know that the, the, the blood of Jesus can deliver you from the kingdom of darkness. And if he's called you his own, listen, if God owns you, he owns all your stuff too. He owns all your stuff. There's nothing that we can claim as our own. Psalm 24 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. First yeah. Corinthians six, you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. Yeah. Yeah. You hear that? that? That's hard because we want to say my, my money's mine, my car's mine, my house is mine, my kids are mine. But listen, nothing in your life, nothing in my life is technically yours. It's all on loan to you, right? It's all on loan to you. What, what it means to be a steward is that it's really someone else's stuff that God has given to you to care for and to manage. And so everything you have in your life, not just your money, you are called to be a steward of everything. And so the question is, what, what do I do with his stuff, right? 
if God, if all the stuff in our life is God's stuff, then he cares how we manage it. And this is the second point, uh, robbing God. Look at verse eight. Look at verse eight. God goes right for the throat. He says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Now, I love it that God is bold enough with his people to just say, this, this is where we're at. He just says that this is where we're at. He says, if, if all of your stuff is really mine, if, if everything that you have is because I've given it to you, then your mismanagement of it is nothing short of robbery. It's thievery, right? And then he says, he, he anticipates their questions. Well, how have we robbed you? And then he gives us a very simple answer. In the tithes and contributions. Now, he says in verse 9 to clarify that this wasn't just a handful of people. He says it's the whole nation of you. The whole nation at this point had turned away from God. And he says, this is where you are spiritually. Now, what is tithing? We've gone this far in the sermon, haven't even defined tithing. What is tithing? This is what it is. Very simple. It's a tenth. That's what it means. The word tithe just means a tenth part of something. And so the practice of tithing in in the Bible is giving a tenth of all that you have to God. It's this act of worship of saying, God, you own 100% of all that I have because you've given me all of it, but I'm going to take 10% of it and I'm going to give it back to you in worship. You see it all throughout the Old Testament, but the law uh, of tithing kind of gets established in Leviticus 27 where it says this. It says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now in the New Testament, Jesus affirms tithing in Luke chapter 11. Listen to what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, the religious leaders at this point were, were really great at tithing. Right? They, they were tithing even the spices in their cabinets, not just their money. They're, they're tithing down to the spices in the cabinet. But then Jesus says, look, you're, you're missing the point of tithing because you are tithing faithfully, but you're failing in love. You're not loving people with justice and mercy. You're you're not caring for your neighbor the way that tithing is meant to produce love in you. But get this, don't use that as a proof text to say Jesus doesn't care about tithing. Because what did he say right after that? You ought to not neglect these also. Jesus is saying these two are not against each other. He's not putting tithing against loving. What he's saying is he's just putting it in perspective. He's saying that your tithing should lead you to a life of generosity. It should lead you to a life of love, that you can see your neighbor and love your neighbor the way God would love your neighbor, right? He's putting it in perspective. It's what Jesus says later, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's saying that that what's happening in your giving is you're leading your heart. You're leading your heart somewhere. Now that phrase, you know, where, where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, often people flip that. We often say things like, well, I'm just waiting for my heart to lead me to give. You know, whatever you feel led to give, give. Now that, that can be an, an interesting practice. Maybe, maybe the Lord has worked well in your life in that way. But I think Jesus would, would flip that a little bit. He would say, give and then feel what that's like. 
Give and then let your heart follow your giving. Because what Jesus is saying is not that you, your heart will lead your giving. He's saying your, your giving will lead your heart. But this is what God is saying in the Old Testament. Remember when he's talking about tithing? He doesn't, he doesn't care about your money. He cares about your heart. He wants your heart to trust him. And so tithing is designed for you to tithe and then trust. Not trust and then tithe. You see that? That's very different. Tithing, listen, tithing trains you to trust. It trains you. By 1949, uh, the automobile industry had completely revolutionized the way uh, people uh, do transportation. Right At that point, uh, before that, the, the most common way that people would get around town would be through a bicycle. I don't know if you knew this, but bikes were very popular with adults before cars because it's a lot faster than walking. And so people would bike around town all the time until the cars became cheap enough that most people then started buying cars. And so by 1949, the bicycle industry was struggling because people stopped buying bikes and now they're buying cars. And so an organization called the Huffman uh, Manufacturing Company, you might recognize that name, they decided to shift their whole business in 1949 and say, we're going to stop producing bikes for adults. We're going to start producing bikes for kids. And in 1949, they came out with what was called at the time the Huffy Convertible Bicycle. It was the very first bicycle with training wheels. Before that, if you wanted to learn how to ride the bike, you were just on your own. Good luck. There were no training wheels. You, you're just, you know, they're going to push you and you're going to fall down. They're going to push you. You're going to fall down. Right? That, that's how you learn to ride a bike. But now that they were focusing on kids, they wanted to make it easier for kids to learn how to ride a bike. And so now for the very first time, they had training wheels. And many of us, maybe if you learned to ride a bike uh, after 1949, if you learned to ride a bike before 1949, I don't know what happened, but, uh, but after 1949, most of you probably used training wheels, probably used training wheels of some variation, some kind, because now that's the way that people learn. But listen to this. When training wheels were designed, they were never designed to be on your bike forever. Yeah. This is why they called it the Huffy Convertible. It was meant to be just something to get you started, to learn how to get this, to balance and trust. Training wheels were designed for you to learn how to balance and to trust. That's what they do. And so when God designed, this is what I'm trying to tell you, when God designs tithing in, in the system of how he wants you to relate to him, he's saying this specific part of your life, I want you to learn this. I want you to learn balance and trust. Tithing is God's training wheels. It's, it's remembering that, that what he wants for you is your heart to be with him. Now, I'll be honest with you. For a long time, I struggled with teaching about tithing. Uh, when I came to faith at 16 in a, in a church in Orlando, immediately our church uh, started talking about tithing in the new members class. And I was a, a, a 16 year old who made no money. So tithing wasn't a big deal. So I was like, yeah, I'll jump in. I'll tithe. Why not? And I've been tithing since then, but I, I struggled for years talking about it. I struggled for years preaching about it. And here's why, because I've seen the dangers of tithing. I've seen uh, how people talk about it in, in wrong ways, but I've also seen this. I've seen legalism that comes out of tithing. Let me give you an example. I've heard of people tithing and writing in their check, if you still write checks, uh, $147.83. 
You know, like you took 10% of whatever your check was down to the penny. You're not going to give God any less and you're not going to give God any more, right? You're, you're giving God his 83 cents and that's it, right? You couldn't even round up. But I think what, what scared me was tithing. When you start talking about it to people, that there's this sense that, um, you know, I need to have a formulaic obedience if I want to be faithful to God. And listen, if you think that's what tithing is about, that there's some kind of formula that if I give 83 cents instead of 82 cents, now God is going to bless me. You've missed the entire point of tithing. Tithing is not about that at all. Tithing is about trusting, right? Tithing is this idea of training wheels. God wants you to figure out how to balance your life in such a way that you can live faithfully on less and generously with the other. And so it's meant to be training wheels that get us going, that that get us pedaling fast enough to be able to ride on our own. And so all of us can ask, even if you don't need the training wheels, am I really trusting the Lord with my money? Because all of us, we, we can get in this place where Israel was, where all of a sudden we realize I haven't been tithing. I haven't been generous. I haven't been giving. I don't trust God with my money. We've bowed down to the God of materialism. And listen, Some of us, I know that this is a tough message because you're thinking, I could never tithe. How could I give away 10%? I want want to push on you gently as your friend and as your pastor. What if you went into into your work tomorrow and you said, or or, your boss said this, hey, the the company's really struggling. We've been down for months and uh, we're, we're going to cut everyone's salary by 10%. What would happen over the next couple months? You'd either get a new job, right? I heard you. You'd either get a new job or you'd figure out how to make it work. I think what, what, just being honest with you, what we struggle with is we've never been put in the place where this was something that I just had to figure out. I have to figure out how am I going to live on 90%? Because I think, I think tithing is, is what, what the Bible says is it's more about trust than ability, it's really trusting God that he's going to take care of you. Yeah, this is why God says, he says, don't forget who I am. I'm the Lord who does not change. I am the covenant God who brought you out and took care of you in every way possible. Now, does that mean there's not going to be ups and downs? Does that mean there's not going to be seasons where the bills are hard to pay? Does that mean there's not going to be seasons where I don't know where the money's coming from? Absolutely not. You're, remember, this is training you to trust. Yeah. This is training you to trust, but it's stepping out in generosity, taking him at his word that he's the owner, not us. So I want to challenge us today before we end. I want to challenge us today to test God. He says it right here in verse 10. Look at what he says. He says, put me to the test. It's the only verse in the whole Bible. I find this fascinating. The only verse in the whole Bible that God says, test me. And it's about money. It's about money. Test me. Take me at my word. With all of your money. All of your money. Will you trust me? See, I think all of us can be challenged in that. We, we can say, uh, you know, maybe, maybe if you've never tithed before, you can step out 
Begin tithing. Figure out what that looks like in your life. Take this message and say, okay, I'm going to wrestle with that. I'm going to pretend like I just got a 10% pay cut at my job, and I got to figure out how would I live? How would I make this work? How can I live as a generous person? And listen, my elders might be mad about this if I say this, but I'll say it anyways. I'll challenge you, tithe to another church. Just so you know that we don't need your money. God doesn't need your money. Go, go find a great church and just say, for two months, I'm going to give them all my money. Don't, don't tie to this. Just, just test it out. Test it out. See if you can be generous. This is what I would love for you to do. Just say, for this season, for this season, I want to see if God really does keep his word. Can, really, can he really care for me? Can he really provide for me? Can I really learn how to trust? For others of us, maybe you've been tithing for a long time and, and you're in that place where you know, that, that has not challenged you anymore. Remember, at some point, the training wheels are meant to be taken off. At some point, the training wheels are there just to get you going. So now you're pedaling fast enough. You can, you can go, you can glide, you can fly. And so maybe you've been tithing for years or decades and, and God might be calling you to say, are you really trusting me with my money? Are you really trusting him? Maybe you need to pray about ways that you can take the training wheels off and get incredibly generous with your giving. But listen, the the incredible thing here is that God is making a promise, not just for this generous gift, but he makes an even more incredible promise. Look at verse, or, or this is going to be the third point, generous God. Look at verse 10, verse 10. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby... Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I love this because he challenges them, like I just said, to to take him at his word. He says, test me. If you think that that I'm not going to provide for you, just test me and then watch. I will open up the windows of heaven. I will pour out a blessing that will fulfill all your needs. Now listen, he doesn't say your greeds. Right, this, this isn't the prosperity gospel. You know, you pour out your money and he'll open up the heavens and now you got a jet. Like you, you all of a sudden, you got, you got cufflinks and you got a TV show. We're not talking about that. He's saying all of your needs will be taken care of. Right? He's saying, I am the Lord, your shepherd. And when you lie down with the shepherd, all your needs are taken care of. You, you do not want. God's got you. But listen. He gives an even greater glimpse of a greater promise in verse 12. Look at what he says. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. What he's saying is the blessing I'm going to give you isn't just for you. It's going to be for all nations. This is the promise that God gave back in the beginning of the Old Testament to Abraham. When he says to Abraham, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. God is saying to Malachi, who's the final prophet in the Old Testament, right? The next page in your Bible is probably the New Testament. He's saying to you, or to to Malachi and to the people, he's saying, I haven't forgot my promise. I'm the Lord who doesn't change. And when I bless you, I'm going to bless the nations because I'm going to open up the windows of heaven and I'm not just going to pour out a material blessing. I'm going to pour out a blessing that's greater than that. I'm going to pour out a blessing that fulfills all the promises I've ever made. The blessing that's greater than any other blessing. See, God opens up the heavens and he comes down himself. 
He comes down himself. Jesus came down to earth because we couldn't go up to him. He opens up the heavens and he says, I'm going to come for you. I'm going to come for you and I'm going to pour myself out. I'm going to pour myself out for sinners who've robbed me of my glory. I'm going to pour myself out for people who've stolen from me, who've hated me, who've despised me, who've turned against me. I'm coming for you. And when I come, Jesus says, greater love has no one than he who lays down his life for his brothers. Right? He's saying, I've come to give not 10%, not 20%, not 30%, not 50%, not 70%. I'm giving 100% of my life, 100% so that you can be saved. He's going to give himself fully, all his equity, all his reserves, everything he has. He empties himself for sinful robbers like us. Now come to me for a second to Calvary. What do you see at Calvary? You see Jesus, as he's walking up the hill, he's carrying his cross on his back and people are mocking him. People are despising him. Jesus walks up, they lay him down, they nail him to the cross in his hands and feet. They lift him up as the crowds continue to mock him. And who's on his side? Robbers. Crucified next to Jesus are you and me. The people who've stolen from God, the robbers, the thieves, and one of the thieves on the cross, he says to Jesus, he says, we're receiving our just reward for our actions, but this man is innocent. He's done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. See, he got it. This was the heart of trust. This man who had been stealing all his life, if we we can imagine, he he had been stealing from God. He'd now been stealing from people. Now he says, I see my wrong and I see this beautiful Savior. Remember me this day. It's the heart of trust. It's the heart of trust that Jesus was crucified between robbers like us for us. He was taking our place among the robbers, the innocent for the guilty. We deserve the death he died. We deserve the pain he endured. He took it for you and me. Only the gospel, listen, only the gospel has room for robbers. The gospel is not good news for tithers. The gospel is good news for robbers, for people who've stolen from God in so many different ways, not just in money. We've stolen from God, and he says, I've come for you. He says, return to me. Return to me. I've come for you. I've paid your debts. I've paid all the cost. I've bought you by the price of my son's own blood. Return to me. Come to me. I want your heart. I want your heart. He wants your heart, not your money. And so this morning as we close, maybe you're here today and you need to return to God. I find it fascinating that in this passage, God says, he says, return to me. And they say, how? And he says, by giving your tithes and offerings. That's an odd answer. But what, it, what he's saying is not, I need your money for you to be saved. What he's saying is, I want you to trust me. See, every time you return to God, it's always about trust. It's always about trust. Anytime you turn back to God, what the Bible calls it is repentance and faith. Repentance is turning away from the other things that you trust. Faith is taking on trusting God himself. You're trusting in his work for you. You're trusting in his love for you. You're trusting in his provision for you. All of those things. It's always trust. Because the gospel is not good news for people who figured it out, people who are good with their money, people who tithe every month. The gospel is good news for everyone who's stolen from God and everyone else. That you too 
can return. You can come. He wants your heart. He wants your trust. And when you come, he says, I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out myself upon you. And you will be filled with my very presence, full of love, full of favor. That's the good news. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to test you, to know for sure. Just that, that word is, is this word that, that means that we're trying to see what's really there, what's really true, to know for certain that you are the God you say you are. God, if there's anybody here today who is doubting that, who's wondering if you really are who you say you are, if you are this covenant-keeping God, this promise-keeping God who never changes, never wavers, never walks away, never leaves us or forsakes us, you are. You are the God who is faithful. You are the God who provides. You are the God who is generous. And we've seen the evidence, not only in our material life in various ways, but in our spiritual life, where we have seen you pour out over and over your mercy and grace. Undeserved. Unearned. Lord, we pray today that you would remind us of who you are, remind us of who you've called us to be, and help us to trust you as we walk by faith with all of our stuff, all of the things you've given us on loan, not just money, but our kids, our jobs, our homes, our relationships, whatever things you've called us to steward, Lord, may you teach us to trust you in them. That we might bring you glory and for our good, we pray in Christ's name.